back on the first Sunday of January, how many of you remember that? It was, it was ages ago. You remember January? I know, right? You'd rather forget? <laughs> but I know what stands out for you is the first Sunday of January. I preached the message. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That was killer. I've listened to it over and over again. You can do that, you know. You could listen to that over and over again, really drive our numbers on Google Analytics on our website. It'd be awesome, because I like numbers. But I'm really, one sentence in, I'm already way off track here. I think it's because Josh is sitting right there and it's just throwing me off. So it's not, <laughs> wow, okay, I don't know who put you up to that, but thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you remember this, wow. I'm sure you remember this sermon back on January. What was the first Sunday in January? Was it the 7th, I think? Um, in that message, I said that um, one of the most fascinating things that we discover when you start reading um, the, the gospel accounts in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus, is that people who were very much unlike Jesus liked Jesus. And maybe the more shocking thing was that Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. <clears throat> and the reason that's kind of uh, maybe comes as a surprise to some of us uh, well, it comes as a, as a surprise to me when I first kind of got my mind around that because uh, I'm a church person. You know, I grew up going to church and uh, was born in the church nursery, the whole deal. But there's oftentimes a message that we get from the church, and it's accidental usually. I don't think it's intentional, but we get this message that the church is for church people and for people who are connected to Jesus and God in some supernatural, super spiritual, mystical kind of way. And if you're not a religious person, then possibly church doesn't have anything for you. That's the message that we often, as the church, we often communicate. But when you read the story of Jesus, you get a completely different message. That people who are nothing like Jesus liked spending time with Jesus, and Jesus liked the people that were nothing like him. And as you read the Gospels, you begin to discover that there's an invitation the invitation that Jesus extends to every single one of us, to me and to you, and to every single person who's ever lived through all the generations of time. And if you've been in church all your life, or if you've been in church for the you know, last 18 minutes of your life, and that's it, this is an invitation that's extended to you, regardless of what your church story is. And we looked at some verses back in uh, January in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 9, where Jesus has this encounter with the writer of the Gospel, with uh, Matthew himself, and in the course of that interaction, Jesus extends to Matthew a very simple invitation. And it's the same invitation that he extends to us. I'm just going to go back and review that because I don't really expect you to remember that. In Matthew 9, verse 9, he simply says to Matthew, follow me. He looks at Matthew and he says, Matthew, would you follow me? I'm not asking you to change anything. I'm not asking you to stop doing anything. I'm not asking you to give up anything. I'm not asking you to leave anything. I'm just saying, Matthew, would you do the one thing that I know you can do? Would you push your chair back from that table and stand up and follow me? And today, no matter what your church experience has been like, no matter what you've thought about God, no matter what you've done in the past, regardless of what's happened with your marriages and your kids and your parents and your ex and your church and all that, all the baggage, here's what we know from this simple exchange, that there is every single day an invitation from a Savior who loves you to take one single baby step in his direction and just follow him. And Jesus has extended that invitation to you and to me and extends it every single day. It's not change, do better, try harder, jump higher, get cleaned up, pray more. 
It's just follow me. Would you do what you can do? Just take a baby step, and would you follow me? So I've decided to come back to this because I felt like I didn't leave, the, I didn't leave that. Uh, I didn't complete the thought. I didn't feel like I'm gonna, in January it's kind of been bothering me. So um, if I've been a little wound tight for four months, that's why. So I've decided to come back to this and take a little, uh, talk a little bit more about this invitation. First, I want to read a couple of verses, and this is from the book of John. And uh, John was a guy who was very, very close to Jesus. In fact, he was so close to Jesus that when Jesus was being crucified, he said to John, he said, John, I want you to take care of my mom. That's how close Jesus and John were. And now after Jesus is crucified and he's rose from, risen from the dead and he's gone to be with the Father, John is writing basically his memoirs, the stories of Jesus. And John, this guy who spent quality time with Jesus, this is what he concluded about Jesus. This is from John chapter 1, verse 17. This is not our text. You don't need to look it up unless you don't trust I'm really reading it right. Then you can look it up. But this kind of gets us going. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the, this is uh, John saying, For the law was given through Moses. Here's a big contrast coming. Grace and truth, as opposed to the law, came through Jesus Christ. Completely different system. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. Then this little, in this little phrase, John equates Jesus, his good friend, with God. And it's a hard thing for some people to swallow now, today. Imagine that you'd hung out with a guy, all right? And at the end of your, your time with him, you're going, wow, you know what? I, I, I know there's like God, like God in heaven, but I'm telling you, Jesus is God. It's all right. Okay, okay, John, that's nice. Um, I mean, like, your best friends, but maybe you're taking it a step too far. How would you explain that? It's like, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to explain that, but I'm just telling you, there was God the Father, as we've always known him, and there's God the Son. And, and God, Jesus is as much God as God the Father. This, and this is from a guy who spent time with Jesus. Verse 18 of John 1 says, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, He's made him known. So here's where we're picking up our teaching from a few months ago when we started talking about the story of Matthew and the idea of just following Jesus. The reason Jesus came into the world wasn't simply to perform miracles. I'm telling you, if I could perform miracles, that would be my whole deal. That would be everything I wanted to do. Like, what you got in your agenda today? I got some miracles to do today. It's going to blow your mind. I got a week full of miracles. But Jesus didn't come just to perform miracles. He, it wasn't just to teach some radical stuff, which he, he did, but that wasn't his primary purpose. It wasn't even simply to die for our sins. You're like, really? No. Jesus came into the world to make God known. He wanted to live his life in such a way that people would understand who God really is. <clears throat> that was one of his purposes for his life. He knew that people of his day, uh, maybe like people today, were so confused about what God is like. <clears throat> You know, how do you know what you can expect from God? How do you talk to God? How do you hear from God? Why would God allow this? Why would God allow that? You ever heard or asked that question? All these questions about God. And he, Jesus came into a very complicated religious system that had drawn a lot of wrong conclusions about God. And he said that one of the reasons I'm here is because God wants to be known, this is good news, and God wants to be known for who he really is, not for who we imagine him to be. Not for what, who we've kind of misconstrued him to be based on religious teaching. And maybe they meant well, but they had it all messed up. For instance, here's an example of how they thought about God. In that day, in that first century, when they saw someone who was blind, they concluded that God was punishing someone, either that person or his parents. And Jesus came along and he's like, no, 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 you get, no that's not what God's like. 
in that day, whenever something bad happened to somebody, they saw it as punishment. That if you were rich, you had the blessings of God. If you were very poor, you were being punished by God, maybe for generations. And Jesus came along and he's like, whoa, 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 put on the brakes. Time out, because you've got this wrong. That's not what God is like. He came so that God could be known. Here's the interesting thing. He didn't, he didn't call a big meeting or have a big, uh, a, a big uh, evangelistic event in a stadium and say, could we get everybody in the room, please, so I can just tell you once, once and for all, here it is. I've got to straighten you guys out. You know, you're wrong, 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 and you're just wrong about the whole thing. I don't even know where to start. You pray wrong, you talk wrong, you treat each other wrong, you got God all wrong. But instead of straightening them all out and giving them a bunch of information and delivering some persuasive speech, here's what he did. He came to make God known, but he did it by extending this invitation. He said, I want you to understand what God is like. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to follow me. Follow me. Matthew, follow me. John, follow me. Peter, follow me. Whoever else, follow me. I don't want you to watch me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to take a few notes. I want you to watch what I do. I want you to listen to what I say. Figure out how it all goes together because my actions will always support my words. And if you're not sure what I mean by what I say, which happened, just watch what I do. I want you to follow me because in following me, you'll be able to figure out what your Father in Heaven is really like. He didn't tell them that up front. But what began to happen as they began to follow Jesus? Something happened on the inside of them. And it's happened on the inside of many of us too. And a lot of things happened along the way. But as they followed Jesus, they began to believe in him. We often think it has to happen the other way around. And I'm telling you, for every one of his disciples who were in his inner circle they followed first and eventually came to believe so this is going to be our word for today believe i'm not big into sermon titles usually if i'm doing a series i'm more likely to give a series of title and then i just call it part one through two part three four whatever part 12 i just mostly because i'm pretty creative that way so um but mostly for the sake of our media player on our website and our podcast on itunes it has to have a title so uh this is i i um so I went back and looked at my message in January that, that kind of I got thinking about from Matthew 9, and I called it follow, so today we're going to call this believe. That's going to be our focus. They came to believe. Not just what he was saying, not just that, just that that was true, that stuff he was teaching was true, not simply believe in his morality and his ethics, but as time went on and as they followed, they began to believe that he was who he claimed to be. They began to believe that he was uniquely sent from God, that they could put him on the same level as the God that they'd worshipped for generations, even though they knew they couldn't figure that out any more than we can figure it out. They came to the conclusion that he was uniquely sent from God, was indeed the Son of God, and the way they came to that conclusion was they just kept following. Following led to belief. And there's a, there's a cool interchange that happens in John chapter 6. Uh, if you want to read a freaky sermon... This is like the wildest sermon you'll ever hear. It, it was so weird that people, that people left. They had, a, they had a big crowd, and he started preaching, and people left. I mean, that's not a big deal in itself, because I've had that happen all the time, but for different reasons, probably. Jesus was preaching, and the sermon got so out there that people are like, uh, can't go with that, Jesus. I was with you for a while. I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount thing was pretty wild, but this now, uh, they just got up and left. And so while Jesus is preaching this wild sermon in John 6, 
all of his disciples, his closest followers, these guys who've been following and following and following, and they're sitting there and they're thinking, I don't think I can follow anymore. I don't think I can follow this. I think it's time to go. I think it's time to just be done with this. And they're looking at each other, and they're going, like, you know, the further we go into this thing, the, further we, the longer we follow and the more time we spend with Jesus, as his reputation goes down the tubes, I don't know if I want to follow anymore. I don't know if I want to be identified with this. Now, Jesus, who's preaching, who also knows the hearts of all men, would be, which would be, can you imagine if the guy up here knew what you were really thinking? <laughs> I have an idea what you're thinking. Uh, and he, he pauses near the end of the sermon. And he turns to his followers and he goes, with, just totally leaves the thing he was talking about and turns to them and goes, do you want to go too? You want to quit following like these other people who've made their way to the back and now they're gone? Would you like to be a non-follower? An ex-follower? Would you like to leave? Because I know that's what you're thinking about. You want to go? There's a long pause because they're busted. And they're sitting there looking at each other. And finally Peter speaks up. And we're very critical of Peter when he speaks up. But for once he got it right. And he says this in John 6, verse 68. He says, to whom shall we go? Translated, Jesus, come on. I mean, who else are we going to follow? Because we've followed for so long that we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. We can't quit following now. We've followed so long that we've begun to believe not just what you teach, but we've begun to believe that you are who you say you are. He says, we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I love that. They didn't simply choose to believe. We make belief sound like a choice. They didn't simply choose to believe. They, their following led to believing. Their following led to their belief that Jesus was the uniquely sent one from God who was sent to do something very unique in this world. My heart's desire for all of us, for you and for me, is that we would follow from whatever place in life that we find ourselves with all of our fears and our doubts and our complaints you know, we knew a Christian once, and we did business with a Christian once, and we had a bad experience at a church, and how could God, and why doesn't God, and with all that stuff, just bring it and say, would you just follow? Because Jesus is saying, would you just pay attention? Would you just read a little bit about what I have to say? Would you just listen for a little while? You don't have to make a big decision or big commitment right now, but would you follow? Would you watch and would you listen? Would you experience for a while? Because chances are after a while, there's going to be a moment in your life where what happened to Matthew will happen to you. And he was a bad guy. And what happened to John will happen to you and he's a pretty good guy. And what happened to people sitting around you right now in this room will happen to you and you'll have an, an aha moment where you're real. I'm starting to believe this. This is kind of weird and scary. <laughs> kind of having this restless thing inside of me, this inside-out experience. I think Jesus is, in fact, who he claimed to be. So today, for a few minutes, I want to talk about what it means to believe. And my point is not even to get you to believe. Because uh, the interesting thing is, as you read the Gospels, you don't find Jesus trying to get the disciples to believe. They just followed. And they followed long enough and intentionally enough that eventually they started to believe. That's the pattern of the New Testament. Some of you are just starting to follow. Some of you are just starting to believe. A lot of you crossed that line a long time ago, and you believe, and we sing these worship songs, and there's something that wells up inside of you. And you, you but, so we're all over the place, people in this room. So I want to talk a little bit about believe. 
I want to look at some complicated verses. And if you think the Bible's hard to understand, today I'm about to confirm your suspicions. Okay? So, um, believe it or not, I've been accused of dumbing things down. So, please share this message with those people who think I'm a dummy. We're going to, or maybe I'm about to prove it. Let's find out. We're going to creep through, thanks for the support. We're going to creep through (laughs) these verses because this is powerful, powerful stuff. If you're here today and you're kind of a skeptical person, and I'm okay, that's fine. It's not a character flaw, all right? Maybe you're still unsure about the whole Jesus thing, and you were here last week for Easter because somebody invited you, and they invited you out to dinner afterwards, so you came, and your experience last week wasn't as weird as you thought it might be. It wasn't really what you expected it to be, and so you came back, and I think that's really cool. This is a perfect time to be here, and here's why. Because the person who wrote this passage that we're going to read in a minute um, was more skeptical than any of us. He was so skeptical that he didn't believe Jesus was the way. He didn't believe Jesus was a way. Actually, he believed that Jesus was a blasphemer and a heretic, and anyone who followed him should be jailed or killed. He spent the first part of his career, he was a very religious person, and he spent the first part of his career arresting Christ followers and putting them in prison and eventually killing a bunch of them because he felt like the idea of Jesus being from God was not only an affront to rationale and logic, which was important to him, but it was an affront to everything good for society. Then one day, he had an experience where he had a 180-degree turnaround, and this guy, Paul, eventually became friends with Peter and John and other followers of Jesus, and he began to teach the very things that he used to persecute Christians for believing and practicing. He was a skeptic who came to the conclusion, not simply that Jesus taught some good things, he came to the conclusion, like Peter did, that he really was the unique and holy one sent from God to help us understand what God is really like and to relate to our Heavenly Father as he is. So he wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome. How many of you ever heard of Rome? All right, no, it's like sometimes in the Bible, like he wrote letters to to people this place, and now it's called this. And you're like, oh, that's okay. So the imaginary place now has a name. No, but but like Rome, you know where Rome is? You know where Rome is, right? Come back to me. Yeah, okay. Um, It's a real city. And uh, what's really cool is in the first century, it was already against the law to be a Christian in Rome. And Paul wrote a letter to Christians living in Rome, explaining the significance of the believe part that follows the following part. So let me just read these verses, and I'm going to comment on them as we read through. I'll try to keep you with me. Here we go. We're in Romans chapter 3. This is a letter written to real people. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, now this is important. But now apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known. Let's talk about righteousness. Righteousness means a right standing with God. In the New Testament, that's what it always means, a right standing with God. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And the converted Jews in the audience are like, oh, how could you even actually, we kind of believe that, but how could you say that out loud? Because that's, because everyone knows you, you become righteous by keeping the law. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. In other words, this is something brand new. Up until this time, you thought that somehow you pleased God or maintained a right standing with God by doing all the right things. Ever spent time in a church setting like that? A right standing with God by doing all the right things. Every religion in the world buys into that to some extent. Because maybe you assume there's a set of rules. The Jews had one, the Greeks had one, the Romans had all kinds of them. Everybody has their standard. 
And you've assumed up to this point that in order to have a right standing with God, you had to do a bunch of right things, and everybody has their opinions about what those right things are. Paul said, I've just discovered something brand new, that God has introduced a new way to have a right standing with him, and it, it is apart from or separate from the law. You can have a right standing with God. Let me tell you what I know about you. You want a right standing with God. Yes? You may know that. You may admit it. You may feel that stronger from one time to another. But all of us in our hearts, we want God to look at us and go, everything's good between you and me. If you don't want a right standing with God, let me tell you when you will. When you're lying in a hospital bed or a hospice bed and you've got all these wires and tubes hooked up to you and you're surrounded by all these strange sounds and even stranger smells and the people all around you are trying to be positive but you can tell they're faking it and you're going you're gonna to want to know that you have a right standing with God. You're going to have a cross in your room and a Bible and a Star of David, maybe even a crescent and a rabbit's foot and some Easter eggs. And you mean you want to have it all covered, okay? Because you're thinking now, like, even though I don't really know what's next, I want to know that whatever it is or whoever it is on the other side, that there's a smile on his face when he sees me. I don't even know what I believe at this point, but if there's anything good on the other side, I want to be a part of that. It's in you to desire right standing with God. That's why sometimes you find yourself praying and you find yourself saying things like, God, forgive me. And then you kind of think, I don't even know who I'm talking to. I don't know if that's ever been a part of your journey. Maybe it's why you whisper your prayers, you know, because there's something in us. And we want to know that things are good between us and our Creator. And the Apostle Paul, who was an Old Testament theologian, he says that uh, that was great, you know, and, but here's an announcement. There is a way to have a right standing with God apart from the law and apart from keeping the rules and apart from trying to make God happy and if you've ever been there I wonder how that went for you and a way apart from hoping that your good has been good enough where the line is we'll never know and that all this is going to work out someday there's a way to have a right standing with God apart from all of that end of verse 21 he says and it has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify in other words uh, all that the all that old testament stuff that maybe we have a hard time getting our heads around his audience got this, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Red Sea, David, Solomon, all that stuff in the Old Testament. They'd heard all the stories, even these people living in Rome. That was the basis for where they were today. He's like, they're like, I never saw this. I think Paul is saying, I never saw this before. I've maybe just really finally come to fully understand this, that all of that pointed to a time where you could have a right standing with God apart from all of that. All the stuff that he taught and all the stuff that he believed as a Jewish scholar, all of that pointed to this time in history that God would make it known. That we can have a right standing with God apart from the law and apart from how well we perform. And it's like Paul saying, I didn't really understand that till now. I thought the law was it. You just, you just keep the law best you can, hope it all works out in the end. But now I realize that all that stuff in the Old Testament, all the stories, it's not to be disregarded, but it's a sign pointing to the present time that God has made a right standing with him available through a whole different means. Verse 22. He says, this righteousness, which means what? Right, that was, wow, that was so weak. I could just go back a few pages and repeat that. What is it? Anybody know for sure? Right. right standing with God. Thank you. Thank you. It was not a trick question. This righteousness, which means a right standing with God, is given, here's a new part, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He's saying this is a brand new thing. That God has opened up a path for everyone to have a right standing with him, not through keeping the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Then he makes this statement in verse 22, and he's like, there is no difference. He's thinking Jew versus Gentile, Greek versus Roman, good versus bad, Matthew tax collector versus John the fisherman. He says there's absolutely no distinction. This right standing with God is available to everybody. Why? Verse 23. For all have sinned. All have sinned. We're all in the same boat. You and I are sinners. We haven't all sinned the same way. We haven't all sinned to the same degree. We haven't all sinned with the same consequences. Uh, You've sinned more than some people. You've sinned less than others. But at some point in your life, you've sinned. If you don't believe you've sinned, uh, just have a conversation with some of your closest friends and family members and maybe maybe your ex. And uh, if... They'll give you uh, plenty of illustrations uh, and tell you stories where maybe you come out as the sinner in the story. Um, Paul says, look, from God's perspective, this is huge, from God's perspective, nobody's born with a right standing with God, and eventually we confirm our separation by acting out of our selfish nature, and we sin. And Paul says this is good news for everybody because everybody needs to pay attention. This is for everybody on earth because all have sinned. And then he defines for us what he means by sin. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's his point. That our tendency is to compare ourselves to others. And if we look enough, we'll find someone who has sinned more than we have, who is deeper into sin than we are, whose sin has greater consequences than ours has, whose sin seems to outweigh ours. But Paul says here that that's not the standard. Remember who we're dealing with. We're talking about how do you have a right standing with God. And God is all glory. And God is the manifestation of everything good. And in fact, the the fact that we have sinned and we have acted in disobedience, that all of us have come up short. We haven't quite come up to the standard when it comes to being everything that God desires for us to be. And if you think you're really good and you'd like to uh, spend some time on this, if you read the Old Testament, you'll discover that the Old Testament has a list of rules. Right? Not the Ten Commandments, that's not what I'm talking about. Those are just, those are like the big overarching rules. There are over 600 commandments, some scholars say 612. I haven't been able to identify them all, I'll just take their word for it. And God said to the Jewish nation, all right, you want to see what it would look like to be perfect? Here's what's required of you. And the Jews, when you read the Old Testament, they kept failing. They kept failing and they kept failing and God's like, okay, I'm going to give you a sacrificial system along with the law. So here's the law, right along with it, here's a sacrificial system because I just assume you're going to fail. I'm, going to, I'm giving you now a way to experience some level of forgiveness along the way because I know you're not going to be able to keep this law consistently. How many times have you said, uh, in, as a response to your sin, well, mistakes, well, nobody's perfect. No, duh. I saw a t-shirt last summer in uh, Bar Harbor. I really wanted to buy it for myself. My wife wouldn't let me. And it said, not perfect, but so close it scares me. And uh, I, I love Any of you put that as a quote on Facebook right now, I'm reporting you to Facebook. So I just... Yeah, but nobody's perfect. And God's going, that's my point. Perfection is the standard. Like, How can it be? He says, if you broke one of my commandments on Tuesday and got the right rest for the rest of the week, you're still imperfect because the standard is still perfection. 
And Paul says, all of us, to some degree or another, have fallen short of God's standard. So we need, we, we need an answer to this question. How then do you have a right standing with God, who's perfect, with a God who's perfect, whose standard is perfection? How do you get in the good graces of a God who is perfect? Who, how do you possibly have a right standing with a God who requires so much and whose standard is so high and practically impossible? Well, I'll let you know how it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by trying to be good. It's not... It's not going to happen by trying to outweigh your good with your bad, because how do you know when the scale is tipped enough? Because, yeah, maybe, you're, maybe your good is good, but how do you make up for the bad things when the standard is perfection? Paul goes on. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And all are justified. There are lots of theological terms in these five verses here. Justified simply means uh, that we're, we're given a right standing with God. And all are justified, what's the next word? Freely. Do you know what free means? Dan, you're so close. No, actually, you're right on. It means free. That's what it means. That's because he's a Greek scholar as well. Free means free. We don't trust the word free, do we? I don't. When somebody tells me something's free, do you believe them? I don't, because we want, what are we looking for? The catch. What's the catch? Call this number. Get a free vacation. If you've ever done that, you know. You know. You should know. If you did it twice, shame on you. But you don't call that number because it ain't free. There's always a catch. But Paul says, not this time. Not this time. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That is, you can have a right standing with God based purely on what God did through Christ for you. Absolutely free. All you have to do is open your hand and simply accept that it's absolutely free. This isn't some kind of trade either. I'll give you this, you give me that. It isn't some kind of pact. Have we ever made a pact with God? From now on, God, I'll do this if you'll do this. That's a trade. That's earning. That's what everybody tries to do. That's why when we have a really, really bad... Let's just say we're really bad one weekend while we really make an effort to get to church the next weekend. We think it's a trade of some kind. Do why when you go so far in your sin that there are certain things that you would, no matter how far you go, there are certain things you would never do. And you get all self-righteous. Well, I may have done, you know, A, B, and C, but I would never do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, good for you. But Paul is saying this is absolutely free. It comes exclusively for, through Christ that the believe part of Christianity is coming to the point where you go, I get it. Okay. God sent Jesus, the one and only Son of God, to do something on my behalf so that God could give me something absolutely free. He dives pretty deep into their Old Testament way of thinking in verse 25. He said, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. That's Old Testament talk, okay? Because they knew about sacrifice. See, uh, when you said sacrifice in that culture, you didn't think, man, I, I came home from the office early today. I sacrificed some time at the office. They would never use that kind of word terminology. When they th- said sacrifice, they thought death, blood. Sacrifice always meant something had to die. He said God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. He died on the cross through faith in his blood or through faith in his death. Look at the rest of this verse. He did this to demonstrate his justice. It, that, 
um, the, the, the NIV that, that was re-released uh, in like 2011 uses the word righteousness. <laughs> and if you have that version and you have a note, it's gonna, it's gonna say justice. So I'm not sure why they changed it. But anyway, he did it to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance or patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What's he talking about? He's answering a question that people in Paul's day would have been asking. Maybe you've asked this. Because the people in Paul's day, all these first century Christians are going, what about our forefathers then? They were all well-intentioned and they you know, tried to follow all the law and they made the sacrifices. And what about them? Like, What about the people that died a year before Jesus' death for that matter? What about Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David? And They, they, they never knew Jesus. They, all their actions sort of pointed in the direction that the Messiah would come. But what about those people who had faith in God but died before Jesus came? Well, here's the, here's the great news for them, that God in his infinite mercy has taken the death of Jesus, which is the payment for the sin of all of humanity for all of time, and he applied it not only to the people in the first century, not only to the people that would live in the future like us, but he applied it to the death, he applied this death and blood of Jesus to the sins of the people who lived in previous generations who had faith in God. That's what he's talking about. Listen to what he says, verse 25. He did this to demonstrate his justice or his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God understood the ramifications of your sin and mine. God didn't say, let's just change the standard so that they're all good. Let's just dumb it down a little bit. Because the standard we set is unattainable. So let's change the standard. God couldn't do that because he's good and he's just. So God said, I'm just, which means sin has to be addressed. But when God saw injustice, when God saw sin, the justice part of him that said, I got to do something about it. You know, sin can't go unpunished. Wrong can't go unaddressed. Something has to be done about this. Something has to be done about your sin. I love this part. Paul says he's the just and he's the justifier. It's like when God got his nostrils full of our sin, he said, I got to do something about this. I got to continue to be just because something has to be done but I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the justifier. I'm going to make right a problem I didn't create. I'm going to address this tension that has been created between me and the human race because of their sin. Because I'm just, I'm going to do something all right, but I'm going to be the justifier. I'm going to solve this sin problem. I'm going to dip into their world, and I'm going to make things right. And here's the incredible picture of God sending His Son to make right between you and me and our Heavenly Father, to make right a problem that was totally our problem. And maybe at some point you've wrestled with the question, you know, isn't Christianity too narrow? And I think Dad spoke to this last week. To which we would say it's not narrow, it's broad. Because everybody is invited. Everybody's invited. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. What's narrow about that? And you're thinking, well, that sounds exclusive. I think Paul would say it's not exclusive because everybody's invited. And there is no difference, he says. Because everybody's included, too. And when Jesus came into the world as a unique one sent from God, he came for the sins of the whole world. All of sin, all fall, all fall short, and Jesus died for all of humanity. So the good news of this passage, and of Christianity, is that there is a way to have a right standing with God. Not through doing something on your own, but there's a right standing with God available to you and available to me through what Jesus did on our behalf. That God was the just, something has to be done, and God was the justifier, I'm going to send my son. God was the just, sin has to be addressed, and he's the justifier. I'm going to take care of the problem. And that's why Paul says this is something new. 
There's a new way to have a right standing with God and it has nothing to do with your efforts or mine. And I think Jesus in his ministry understood that this is a lot for us to get our heads around. It's a lot to swallow. I think that's why he said, just follow me. Just follow me. Just spend some time with me. Just listen and learn, observe. And one day, someday, if you pay attention, it'll dawn on you, oh, that's right, you are who you say you are. You are the one sent from God to take care of my sin. You are the one sent from God to, dis- to show us who God really is and what God is really like, but you're also the one who came to give me access to God, to allow me to go to bed at night knowing that things are good between me and God. Not because I'm good, because I was good enough today, but because, Jesus, you did something on my behalf. You bridged the gap that I could not through my works. And God took Jesus' death and his sacrifice and he applied it to my sin. Here's something else I know about you. You want to have a right standing with God and you're going to probably go about trying to find it in one of several ways. (laughs) That's what we do. The invitation of Jesus is that you can have it for absolutely free. Well, I don't have to do anything? No, you don't have to do anything. And when you have that moment, when you transfer your trust from your goodness to what Christ did for you, when you decide, I'm not going to try to have a right standing with God by being good, I'm, I'm going to allow him to apply Jesus' goodness to me. When you have that moment, when you believe that something happens on the inside of you, and here's what you discover. Because once you've experienced his forgiveness, it'll be easier for you to forgive. That'll change your behavior. When you begin to understand how he loves you and how he accepts you, you'll find it easier to love and accept the people in your life who are hard to love and accept. And that's a lifestyle thing. That's a behavior thing. When you begin to understand and experience and recognize the grace of God in your life, you'll soon find it easier to extend grace to the people in your life. That's a huge, 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 huge lifestyle shift. When you discover that God really does have your best interests in mind, that when you're feeling like, you know, you want to go left, and he says, I want you to go right, and you're going to, you're, you're going to say, you know what, normally I would just go with my gut because I kind of trust my gut, but I trust you. And maybe this path doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe the people around me in the culture says I'm a fool. But your lifestyle and your behavior begins to change, not in order to earn God's love, but you begin to change because God's love has been given to you freely through Christ. That's what might happen to you as you follow Jesus. A lot of you, this is your story. Some of us can remember a time and place. We're sitting in church or in Sunday school or youth group or at camp or on a campfire. We're sitting in solitude in nature somewhere or in the car driving alone with our thoughts kind of thing, and it just happened. We got it, and the light came on. A lot of you had a moment in time like that that you can point to. For some of you, it's been happening. You've been following for a while. You've been maybe coming to church. You've been asking questions. You've been reading the Bible. You're listening to some different music, and all of a sudden, something in your spirit begins to stir. You've gathered enough information. And now you're thinking, you know what, I think I'm there. 
because even though I still got some questions, because, man, I got questions, but I don't find myself wrestling. Like, I don't feel like a barrier anymore. I don't come to church with one foot on the brake anymore. There's something in me that almost feels like a rebirth. Huh. You've been following Jesus and you've been hanging out with Jesus. You've been watching, listening, observing, starting to believe. Not believe like, oh, Jesus, yes, that's right, Jesus did have some good things to say. That's not what I'm talking about because the majority of people believe that. But you've wrestled with and investigated and you come to the place where you believe that he is who he said he is. That he is who Matthew, who was a sinner, said he was. That he is who John who was a pretty good guy, but still a sinner, said he was. And now you believe that he is who they believed he was, the Holy One sent from God, the very Son of God. I want to give you a moment, give you an opportunity to have a moment in time this morning. <coughs> I know for a lot of you, you can look back to your moment in time. For a lot of you, it's like, I don't have a moment in time, but I know that there's been a process. That's all good. But if you're at a place where, okay, I, I think I'm, I've followed long enough. You, you've decided it's time to transfer your ability to be good enough to a trust in the death of Christ as a payment for your sin and as a bridge that leads you to relationship with your Heavenly Father. A chance to say, I'm transferring my trust in my ability to please God to the fact that Jesus, through his death, already pleased him on my behalf. I'm making the decision to transfer my trust from my effort to be good enough to somehow have a good standing with God and transferring all my trust in that to this belief that Jesus did this for me. I'm no longer going to trust in my ability, my, my own attempts at cons- consistency, my efforts to be in good standing with God. From here on out, my trust is in the fact that Christ has been the sacrifice for me and I'm fully trusting in Him as a basis for my, my right standing with God. If you're at the point where you'd like to do that today, I'd like you to join me in this prayer. So let's bow our heads together. For those of you who can look back on your moment in time, you can look back in the process that, that is your story, the following of Jesus that's been a part of your story. And you, I'd like you to take this time to just give thanks to God for that, for extending his grace to you to have that, however recently that's been or however far back in your story that was. Then I want you to pray for the people around you who have yet to kind of come to that moment. So I want you to join me in this prayer. I'm actually going to, while we pray, I'm going to invite the worship team and the band to come to the stage. So don't be, they just are walking from their seats to the stage. So nothing to see here. You can change the words of this prayer. You can pray with your eyes open, your eyes closed. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently in your heart. You can whisper. It doesn't matter. But if you've been following enough, if you've, it, it may have been a short time following. It may have been several years of trying to figure this out, exploring, watching, listening. You've come to the place where you, you're willing to say, like Matthew, like John, like Paul, I believe. Then I want this to be your moment where you can look back and say, that was the day that I made this transition from trusting myself to trusting fully in Christ. Would you just pray this with me? Would you just pray, Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe Jesus is a Savior. I believe He's my Savior. I believe that when He died, He died for my sin. I believe that I can have a right standing with you through what he did. So today I'm placing all my trust on Christ's death on the cross as a full payment for my sin. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for leading me 
on this path to believing in your son. Now we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for, uh, for your word. Thank you for the times when it's really clear. Thank you for the times where we have to dig a little deeper below the surface to see what it is that you have for us. Thank you for the guidance of your Holy Spirit in that process. Pray for people in this room today who, this is their moment. I pray that in their spirit that you would just confirm this decision. That you'd give them an overwhelming peace that they've never known before. There may be people in this room who need something tangible. They need something unexpected. They need an answer to a prayer. They need a concern addressed. May you give that to them as it's needed. God, I pray that for all of us that our faith would grow deeper, that our belief would grow stronger, that our commitment to following you would be stronger than ever before. Thank you this is not about a list of laws, a list of do's and don'ts, that this isn't about being good enough. Thank you that your invitation is simply to follow. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.